Uh, we're starting a new series today called Courageous. That's the first time I've seen that uh, graphic up there. Thank you, Stephanie, for creating that for us. And uh, if you have Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 11. We'll get there in a few minutes. Two reasons why I want to do a series on courage, um, being courageous. Um, number one, uh, by definition, just by living here on earth, um, how many know life is hard? Life is hard. And just to get through the day sometimes, like it took courage maybe for some of you to get out of bed this morning. But things we face in life, by definition, um, life can be difficult. We need courage in this life. Let me give you the definition of courage. is the ability to face danger, difficulty, uncertainty, or pain without being overcome by fear or deflected from a chosen course of action. Okay, that's the definition of courage. These are four things, danger, difficulty, uncertainty, and pain, that are actually inevitable in our lives. Uh, danger, it's an inevitability that we'll face danger in our lives. I don't, I don't know if you know this. I went skydiving last year, but I was looking at like statistics of like, what is like the, the statistics of people who actually die skydiving? You actually run more of a risk getting in your car to go skydive than you do when you jump out of the airplane. I don't know if you knew that. So just by being in this world, by living, and even if you're not doing risky things, you, we face danger, okay? Inevitability, difficulty. Life can be difficult. Uncertainty or ambiguity. Life can certainly be ambiguous, and we face uncertainty and pain sometimes, physically, emotional pain. But when we have a chosen course of action, that's what courage is, to go through those things with our chosen course of action and not be deflected from what we're supposed to be doing, what we've chosen. So it's, it's inevitable that we'd face these things, and so I want to talk about courage. And that's what this series is going to be on. I want to read one of Jesus' um, less popular but very accurate statements. It's this, John 16, 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I mean, no, that's a true statement. Not one of Jesus' more popular um, statements to us, but it is true. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart or be courageous, be brave, cheer up. That's what other translations will say. But take heart. I have overcome the world, all right? So in this life, you will have problems. You will have trouble. You already knew that before you came to church because many of you have problems, right? And um, to, to help illustrate this, um, I have a, have a quick clip that we want to play for you. Go ahead and play that real fast for us. I don't know why anyone would ever want to be the president anyway. You know? All right, maybe we could start that over. Can you imagine being awakened want that job in a million years. Can you imagine? Is there an iPod playing? I don't know why anyone would ever want to be the president anyway, you know? I wouldn't want that job in a million years. Can you imagine being awakened every morning like this? Problems. All kinds of problems. <laughs> <laughs> now, unfortunately, whether you're the president or not, many times this is how we are awakened. You wake up in the morning like, oh gosh, problems. 
all kinds of problems. Even if you're not the president, we, we face all kinds of problems. Unfortunately, danger, difficulty, uncertainty, fear, they're inevitabilities of life. So that's reason number one I want to do this series. Reason number two I want to do this series, just getting through life can be difficult and we need courage. But then when we choose to follow God in this life, when we choose to give our lives to Jesus, it doesn't necessarily make your life easier. In fact, following God and being a Christian, many times you're going against the grain, right? And to do things for God, the things he's put in our hearts, that takes tremendous amount of courage, right? Just coasting through life is one thing, that takes courage, but when we choose to do things for God, that takes a tremendous amount of courage because we're going against the grain, we're going against culture many times. And so we're gonna talk about that in this series. Today, I wanna specifically talk about being risk takers, being risk takers. I want a church of risk takers. Um, The title of my message today is called Risk Management. John Wimber, who was the leader of the Vineyard Movement, he said, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Many times, faith simply looks like taking a risk. Many times, that's what faith looks like. I'm taking a risk. I'm stepping out. Many times, that's what faith looks like. And I'm not exactly sure why, but maybe we'll talk about this more in the future, but from, from Genesis, the book uh, Genesis in the Bible, to Revelation, and all throughout history, God has chosen to use finite people to accomplish his will in this world. And I don't know if you've ever wondered, like, why? Like, why God? He's, he's all-powerful. Like, why does he need people to perform his will on earth? He's all-powerful. He can do any, everything and anything, right? He's, he made everything. He can do anything. He's omnipotent, right? He's all-knowing. He knows everything there is to know. Like, God's never had an epiphany. God never thought, like, oh, it's just occurred to me. Like, we've had those moments. Oh, it just popped in my head. God never had. God doesn't have that. Like, he knows everything there is to know. He's omniscient. Um, he's also omnipresent. He's everywhere at once. Um, the Bible says that like literally he holds creation together. He holds it all together. I don't know if you know this, but scientists don't even really understand why our atoms don't fly apart. Like, or, or how our galaxies stay together. When they, when they observe like distant galaxies or our galaxy and they look at the amount of mass that should be holding that galaxy together, they're like, there's not nearly enough mass to hold this galaxy together. They don't understand how galaxies even exist. You know, so they came up with things like dark matter, dark energy, because they're observing the universe that doesn't make sense, right? He holds it all together. That's my theory. He's holding it together. Okay, um, he's, he's, he's omnipresent. Uh, King David says, if I make my bed in hell, there you are with me. He's eternal. He's without beginning or end. He's perfectly holy. His motives are pure, and his will is perfect. Yet he chooses to use you and me, finite people, to accomplish his will on earth. And even among us Christians, sometimes our motives aren't pure. We certainly don't possess all power. We don't know half of what there is to know. We can only be one place at one time, and we had a definite beginning, and we're going to have a definite end, right? Yet God, from Genesis to Revelation, all throughout history, has chosen to use people like you, people like me, to accomplish his will on earth. earth. And not just superhumans. He uses people with problems, sometimes big problems, right? Let me give you some examples of this. Moses, in in the Bible... He killed an Egyptian and buried his body in the sand. He, this guy ended up writing five books of the Bible, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. David was an adulterer and a murderer, and he wrote most of the Psalms. 
He sleeps with a guy's wife, gets her pregnant, and then to cover up his sin, he, he has her husband killed. Like, that was a big boo-boo, you know? <laughs> it was a bad day, David, right? <laughs> Writes most of the Psalms, a man after God's own heart, murder and adulterer. Hello. There's hope for someone here. Okay. <laughs> Paul. He writes most of the New Testament, 13 letters in the New Testament. He was aiding and directing the persecution of the church. In other words, he was guilty of consenting and and, um, giving his consent to murder of the early church before he became a Christian himself. If you do the math, you can figure out that really a third of your Bible was written by murderers. Like a third of this book was written by people who are, are guilty of murder. Okay? That's crazy. So I don't know what your issue is here today, but I can assure you that you are not disqualified from being a candidate to be used by God, okay? You are not disqualified. And I'm not advocating that you stay broken or messed up or, you know, get healed, get, get like well, and then do something amazing for God. But even in the process, I, I mentioned this last week, God actually enjoys us in the process. He enjoys us in our maturity. He works as we're growing and maturing. He's, he's, you know, disciplining and guiding. He enjoys us even in the process. And he'll use you even in the process before you've arrived. So you're not disqualified for, um, from being used by God from either things you have done or, or even by the inadequacies that you think that you have in your life. Moses also had a stutter. The disciples were mostly uneducated fishermen. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was probably a young teenager, when she carried and gave um, birth to the Son of God. Probably a, probably a very young teenager. But my point is this. God's plan to bring healing, restoration, salvation to this world actually involves humans interacting with God and doing his will. Have you ever thought about prayer, for example? It's like, God, you want me to sit in a room and ask you to do what you already want to do. Why don't you just take the middleman out and just do it, Right? <laughs> like, what is prayer? Or evangelism. He's like, go into all the world, preach the gospel, um, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's like, God, if heaven and hell are in the balance for people, eternity is in the balance, heaven and hell, and it's contingent upon us going and preaching the gospel that people would know you, like, it seems to me like, let's take out the middleman, let's take out the people who are not God here, and like, Let's, you go tell them the gospel, right? You can do anything. But yet he's chosen to, to work like this. From Genesis to Revelation, he's chosen that, that, the, that the power of the gospel would be in the preaching of the gospel and to use you and me. It's actually the dignity of our lives that God would use us in this way and that we're co-laborers with God, co-laboring with him in this world. It's amazing. So he uses humans who walk in faith and the humans who take risk. And not just today, I, I don't want to... This is not an all-inclusive message on um, faith and taking risks. But I want to talk to you today about one of the biggest reasons why I believe Christians, many times, many times us, we don't step out in in faith or we don't step out and take a risk for God. Many times Christians have their own kind of version of their own trump card. When God wants them to do something, they have this trump card. I want to tell you about what this is. Many times our trump card is, well, I didn't have peace about that thing. I didn't feel peace about that thing. Now listen, don't get me wrong. If I was doing a teaching on how to hear God's voice and how to follow him, one of the big things we would talk about is being led by the peace of God. So I'm not, I'm not saying not having the peace of God, is, that's important in our lives. But many times, <clears throat> we use that kind of as a trump card to not take a risk that God's um, calling us to take. Okay, 
The peace of God is real. It leads us in the right direction, but we use it as a cop-out sometimes. There's a difference between the peace of God and, like, peace out, right? Okay. <laughs> this is what happens. I think sometimes people misinterpret the feeling of being way outside of your comfort zone and not having the peace of God. Okay, because honestly, they feel very similar. When you're way outside of your comfort zone, you're doing something that you're not comfortable with, you don't feel adequate for, it doesn't feel like peace. You know what I mean? Like when I went skydiving, I, was, I knew statistically they feel safe, and I felt like God said, it's okay, go do it, you know, you're going to be okay. But in my, that moment, I'm jumping out of the plane, my mind's saying, danger, 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 you know what I mean? <laughs> Many times, that's what it's like serving God. It feels... Um, like we don't have peace when you're way outside of your comfort zone. Um, I'll give you a few examples of this. Several years ago, we had a, we had a guy in our young adult ministry, and great guy, um, man of integrity, not like your typical out-in-front kind of person. And I approached him. I said, hey, I want you to be, will you, th- will you uh, consider being a small group leader for us? So this is, he wasn't used to leading. He wasn't that kind of guy. But I felt like he had what it takes, and it would be a stretch for him. And he said, yeah, I'll do that. I'd like to do that. I'd like to be a small group leader for you. And then a couple of days later, I got a text from him, and he said, I'm not really having peace slash release to, to do that. And I, you know, I let him off the hook. I'm like, fine, that's cool. If, you, if you're not having peace about it, that's great. Um, and if he genuinely didn't have peace, that's fine. I don't want to like, twist his arm. But in that moment, I actually had this side. I'm like, I wonder if he is misinterpreting that anxious feeling of being way outside of your comfort zone as I don't have the peace of God. You know what I mean? I just got to tell you. Most of what I do, I don't have like this cozy, peaceful feeling. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> Ten years ago, <clears throat> um, I left what was a stable job, providing for, I, have a fa- I, you know, I have a family, stable job that I could do with some security. I left a stable job to go be in full-time ministry. I had no full-time ministry experience. And I had family members like, what are you doing? You're leaving a stable job. It pays good to go into a job that can be volatile. You know, full-time ministry isn't always just like steady. It can be very volatile. And, um, you know, I was taking a risk. And I had family members like, what are you doing? Even, even uh, Pastor John Stocker and Miss Linda, who I don't see them today, they hired us. Even they were like, um, we feel like the Lord, you know, did say yes to hire you, but... Um, I don't want to ruin you. They like literally said, I don't want to ruin your life. We see that you have a good job here. <laughs> I don't want to ruin your life for you, you know. And uh, what, what they didn't know is that from the age of 17 to the age of 27, which is when I finally stepped into full-time ministry, I had a burning desire in my heart for 10 years, essentially, to, to step into ministry. And this is the conclusion I came to. I was like, there, there are definitely no guarantees that this is going to work. For sure, no guarantees. Um, this is my conclusion, was this. I would rather try and fail than never try. Even if I fail flat on my face, I, I need to ask the question, can I do this? You know what I mean? And when we did get hired, everything I did after that was a stretch. Every time I got up to talk on the microphone was stretched. I didn't even honestly enjoy preaching at first because I was so nervous. Um, altar calls felt awkward for me. I was like, I felt kind of like a used car salesman. I'm like, you know, try Jesus for 30 days. <laughs> if, you're, if you're not completely satisfied, you can return your salvation for a full refund of your sins, you know. <laughs> Just felt like I was trying to sell something, you know. <laughs> I, I've learned to like, 
I love the gospel. I love giving gospel presentation. It's the power of God, you know? That was awkward, giving, giving salvation appeals. Preaching was awkward. In fact, I, I tell people this often. They're like, do you still get nervous to come up here? And I'm like, every time, every time I come up here, I'm nervous. You know, every time I'm preparing a message, I'm, I'm nervous about it. And I tell people this, like, if your average person is, like, here, public speaking ability, I think I was born here. And I had to work hard to get to here, and I work really hard to get to here, you know? It's been a lot of work for me. This, I didn't just like, I'm a public speaker, you know? I was not born with that. Some of you were. Like, I know some of you that are good out in front, good public speakers. I just had a burning in my heart, you know? I, had a, I want to be used by God, so I've had to work really hard at it. It was a risk. But I'd rather um, try and fail than never try. Nine, nine years after we got in full-time ministry, we had another, God put another thing on our heart. and was starting a new church here in Greeley. Huge risk. There were days I woke up and I was like, what are you doing? Like, yeah, warning, warning, warning. It's like jumping out of an airplane. What are you doing? Like, is there security in this? I don't know. You know, I didn't know if to work three jobs and do this. I don't know. But again, we came to the conclusion. We'd rather try and fail than never try at all. I'd rather try and take a risk and fail than I want to ask, I want to ask the question. Is God really calling us to do this? Let's step out and try. And listen, sometimes, sometimes, I think God will even call us to step out and take risks and knowing we will fail. Because failure isn't the worst option in the world. Like, you'll learn, you still learn things. I've had job interviews where God, I felt like the Lord told me to apply that I didn't get. But you're learning something even in the process of those job interviews, right? We applied three times before we got hired at Res Church in Loveland. I had other jobs I'd applied for many times, never got hired for, you know. Um, Sometimes I think he calls us to do things even knowing we'll fail. I'll give you an example of this uh, in my own life. When I was in high school, I wrestled. And um, I remember I was at this tournament. And they're, they're like, there's this guy from another state. He's from Arizona coming to this tournament. And he's in, he was actually a weight class below me. But he moved up a weight class to wrestle in this tournament here in Colorado because he wanted to wrestle like one of the best state champions that Colorado had at the time, who was in my weight class. And... I had to wrestle this guy. He's a national champion, like a national champ, not a state champion, a national champion. He's really good. And I'm, I'm going up against this guy, and I'm like, okay, like, I'm not going to win this match. Like I'm, and, and I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to score a point. I'm going to make it hard for this guy. I'm going to at least try to score a point. I'm going to try to do something amazing. Um, at the end of this tournament, he, he did wrestle the guy who was a, a really good wrestler in my weight class, state champion in my weight class, it was the first opponent he didn't pin all year. Like, he, he tech-falled him, which means he was 15 points ahead in the second period. And, and he came up with weight class for, for, uh, for a challenge. So I'm like, I'm at least going to try to score a point on this guy. I know I'm not going to win. Try to get a tick down. Try to escape or something like that. And wouldn't you know it, I went out there, and I won. Just kidding. It destroyed me. <laughs> it destroyed me. People ask, like, I think he pinned me, like, in the second round, whatever. But people ask, like, I don't remember exactly the whole match, but people ask, like, is it hard wrestling someone that's that good? It's like, it's really not hard. What's hard is when you wrestle someone who's, like, evenly matched with you. That's like a dogfight, you know what I mean? You wrestle someone that's, like, so much better. It's like, you take a shot, you're like, I'm on my back. How did I get here? <laughs> Matches, I'm not even tired. Like, okay, we'll go home now, you know. I don't even know what happened, you know. <laughs> But it's better to try and fail than to never try anything at all. Amen? So take a risk. Okay. 
I just went out about excited about the opportunity. <clears throat> Sometimes we use the peace of God as a cop-out. And it, again, it's not the peace of God. It's just we're stepping outside of our comfort zone. We're right outside of our comfort zone. It doesn't feel like peace. Sometimes people who are in a dating relationship, they blame. They don't want to be with the person anymore. They don't see them together. They're not attracted to the person. They're like, I just don't have peace about it anymore. I love you. Everything's perfect. You're the man of my dreams. But I don't have peace about it anymore. Then this guy walks away with a quandary like, God, what are you doing? Why aren't you giving this person peace? They just don't want to be with you, okay? I've had to to translate that for people sometimes, okay? Someone said they don't have peace about dating you. They don't like you, okay? Just so you know. Uh, All right. Did you guys find Hebrews 11 yet? Okay, Hebrews 11, this is known as like the scripture in the Bible, it's the hall of faith, okay? Or, or my, as my Bible says, the caption is like faith in action. This is what it talks about. And I want to read this. And these are people who are commended in scripture for going before us. The great cloud of witnesses that have gone before us, um, as Hebrews says. So Hebrews eleven thirty two, it says this. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, I don't know how to say that, David, Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned into strength, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and and flogging, while others were, were chained and put into prison. They were stoned, they were sodden too, they were put to death by the sword, they went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith. These were all commended for the faith. So these are people who, like they're dying. (laughs) People who are dying for God. Okay, I dare say that these people might have something to teach us about the peace of God. For example, the sod and two guy. They were sod and two. So guy was sod and two. According to traditional rabbinic uh, text, this was probably the prophet Isaiah or, or the prophet Jeremiah. Okay, but can you imagine <laughs> running into the sod? The guy was sod and two for for God, right? Can you imagine running into this guy in heaven? And he's like. Tell me about your life. And you're like, well, I was going to do that crazy thing, take a risk for God, or, you know, there was a lady at the mall, and I was going to share my faith, but I just didn't have peace about it. I, I feel like this guy would just look at you and be like, you know, I saw it in two, right? <laughs> He's like, do you think I had the peace of God? I was in two pieces. I had twice the peace of God. I had the peace of God, twice the peace of God. You didn't have peace in that moment. We spell peace, P-E-A-C-E. That guy spells peace, P-I-E-C-E, okay? <laughs> guy was cut in two. I don't know. I don't want to face that guy with a lame story about my life. You know, I'm not in the hall of faith. I'm not, you know, but I at least want to, you know, do what God's putting in front of me to do. Again, here's what, I, here what I'm not saying. I'm not saying... Don't worry about peace. We need to have the peace of God. We, we know. But know the difference between being way outside of your comfort zone and what the peace of God is in our lives. Amen? All right. 
I'll conclude with this. So we're doing okay. Um, Acts chapter four, oh, Acts chapter three, Peter and John, they're walking into the, the gate called Beautiful. And interestingly enough, this, there's, there's, a, there's a beggar place there every day to beg. Okay, get money, because he's, he's crippled. He's a crippled beggar, and that was the only way for him to make money was to sit at the gate called Beautiful and beg. And the Bible says that that man was placed there every, every day. I think it's interesting that um, Jesus had gone into the temple many times. Like, Jesus had to have walked past this person who, you know, at this point in Acts, Acts chapter 3, Jesus had already ascended into heaven, so it's just the apostles. I have this, Jesus could have healed this guy, right? He had to have walked past him many times because it says he was there every day from, from the time he was a, a child. And I, I actually, I have this imagination, I'm picturing Jesus walking past the gate beautiful and he's thinking, not yet. I got something for Peter and, Peter and uh, John pretty soon here, right? I'm saving this for Peter and John. Peter and John, they're walking to the gate beautiful, this man's sitting there begging and um, expecting to, to get some coins or something from them. They, Peter says, look, look at us, and, and the guy's expecting to get some money from them. Peter looks straight at him and says, silver and gold I do not have, but this I have. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, be whole, be healed, stand up and walk, right? And the guy gets healed. Everyone had seen this guy every day because everyone had to walk past him to get into the temple every day. And the city was in an uproar because of this miraculous miracle that had taken place. The Bible says about 5,000 men and, of course, women were added to the faith that day because of this miraculous thing that had taken place. The city was in such an uproar that they, they didn't know what to do. They took, they took Peter and John, threw them in jail, and like, we're going to question them in the morning and try to get the crowd to calm down. And so that's where we are in Acts chapter 4. And this, the, the next day, the priest uh, and the high priest and, and um, the Sadducees um, and the captain of the temple guard, they questioned them. This is what Peter and John said. They, they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a crippled, uh, cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven, um, under heaven given to which men must be saved. Watch this, verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, and they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Okay, ordinary, unschooled, regular men who were walking in crazy faith, crazy courage, and these people were astonished. I can't believe they're, they're, they're up speaking like this. God's moving through them. I looked up, I was preparing this message, I was going to you know, close with this, and I decided, I'm going to look up the word um, ordinary. Like, what does the word ordinary mean? And uh, go ahead and put up the, the first slide we have there for ordinary. Strong's 2399. <laughs> Does this word look familiar to you? <laughs> Idiotes is how you say it. Idiotes. Okay? Idiot. That's where we get the English word. The origin is in this word. Idiot. 
unschooled, ordinary men. The Bible, like, literally, you could say maybe they were idiots. I don't know. <laughs> Go ahead and put up the full definition. <clears throat> um, a private person, by implication, and enormous, um, compare, idiot. This is a compare to idiot. Ignorant, rude, or unlearned. Okay. In the New Testament, um, an unlearned, illiterate man, as opposed to the learned and educated, one who is unskilled in any art. Okay, let me translate this for you. It's what we would maybe consider someone who's backwoods redneck, like, <laughs> right? Like backwoods redneck guys from the Sea of Galilee is what these guys were. Or, or maybe you're from the hood here. Like, these guys are straight up hood, right? <laughs> they were hood, you know, or I don't know, white trash, whatever. Like, they were uneducated, unschooled, ordinary fishermen from the Sea of Galilee, okay? Just everyday people. I don't know about you, but this encourages me. Like, if God can use ordinary people and do extraordinary, I think it is the wisdom of God and the power of God to use the weak things to confound the wise in this world. He, I think he loves moving through people who are broken, people who are uneducated, and doing mighty things through him. It actually glorifies him more. He could do it himself. And he could use very educated, pompous people as well. He does use educated people, but he also uses weak and broken people, people with no education. And that encourages me. I mean, I have some, but it encourages me more than it discourages me. Unschooled, ordinary, messed up people. Maybe they were idiots. I don't know. Maybe you were called an idiot growing up. But you know what? Even if you are, God can still use you. Amen? Jesus took these ordinary men and women and just, they had taken note that these men had been with Jesus. They had spent time with Jesus. They hung out with Jesus. And Jesus can take someone who's ordinary, normal, and when you hang out with him, when you spend time with him, you cultivate intimacy and a relationship with him, let his word feel you, he can do mighty things through you. Amen? Amen. All right.